Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Get Lifted with me, Lisa Snowden. Thank you so much for joining. Today is World Menopause Day and I wanted to release a special episode of Get Lifted to mark the occasion. I'm going to be talking to Dr. Menopause Care and we're going to do a deep dive into all things menopause. What is it? What is the menopause? The menopause is when your ovaries essentially stop doing what they've done since puberty and they uh, stop producing eggs and they stop producing hormones and so your body where it has been used to having lots of hormones around suddenly doesn't and it is it's that that gives you the symptoms. Now before we kick off this episode I just want to reiterate that we discuss a whole range of topics on the show. It's important for you to understand that I'm not a trained professional and any advice that I give is purely my own opinion. Now, if you want to engage in any of the therapies, the services, anything that we discuss throughout the series or in this show today, just make sure that you always talk to a trained and accredited professional so they can tailor their service to your particular health and medical needs. It's really important that you bear that in mind and that you speak to your GP or your doctor before you change anything. But I do want you to enjoy this episode. Right, let's get lifted. So... Dr. Menopause Care, Naomi Potter, we are talking today on World Menopause Day. Um, In the middle of Menopause Awareness Month, this is kind of amazing, right? It is, it is. And I think this year it's it's bigger and better than ever, isn't it? Like last year it was around, but this year everybody is talking about it and it is brilliant. Everybody's talking about it. The conversation is just like, it's on everybody's lips. Yes. It's just so exciting. We are learning more about it or we're having more awareness surrounding this new phase in in our lives. Um, But I kind of want to take it back to basics because when we're little, when I was about seven, I learned about my periods. In school, you learn about your periods. Then you learn about pregnancy. But not at any point did I ever learn about perimenopause or menopause. I had no idea that I was even going to go into that phase of my life. So let's just talk about what is it? What is the menopause? The menopause is when your ovaries essentially stop 
doing what they've done since puberty and they uh, stop producing eggs and they stop producing hormones and so your body where it has been used to having lots of hormones around suddenly doesn't and it is it's that that gives you the symptoms and it's that what means what makes your period stop um, and it's the transition that for some women can take years um that that is that is the kind of perimenopause and then when your periods finally stop that's the menopause let's get some definition on the perimenopause and the menopause because they are the same but not the same right yeah so the perimenopause is the time leading up to the menopause where there is uh, hormonal fluctuations and symptoms start to develop Whereas the menopause is a the menopause is a retrospective diagnosis, so you only know whether you are into the menopause a year after your periods have stopped. So your last period has to have been a year ago, and that signifies that you are into the menopause. And HR, HRT can complicate that picture because so a lot of women say, "Well, now I'm on HRT. How do I know when I'm in it?" Yeah. Well, you don't really because HRT is an, is a kind of artificial replacement of hormones and so you get endometrial thickening you can get bleeds and um so it's it's a it's a trick it's a much trickier one um but it doesn't actually really matter but it's just one of those kind of little foibles okay so let's um let's talk about perimenopause and the symptoms and the signs like some of the first signs now from my understanding that can hit us at at any age i mean i i read recently that i think one of the youngest girls that had been recorded going into or starting with perimenopause symptoms was 11 years old so I mean it literally can just come about at any age but for the majority of us it is late 30s 40s 50s yeah Yeah, I think it's so for for the majority of women so women with POI um, which is what you were describing um, which is premature ovarian insufficiency the um that's a slightly different i mean that is, there is something going on there there is something that is faulty that's caused the ovaries to stop working and that mm-hmm. can happen in your in your teens um Gosh. and 20s Hideous. and early 30s and and of course it's very hard to get to that diagnosis it take, can take a long time and a lot of suffering for for women who haven't got that diagnosis so they're just having an early menopause or a menopause symptoms typically begin in early 40s mid 40s sometimes late 40s sometimes late 30s but it's just such a massive spectrum and symptoms can come in and then they can disappear and then they can different ones can come in and then they disappear and it's why it's so confusing so tell me about some of the first kind of symptoms that we should be looking out for. And then I'm going to explain like kind of what I went through as well and kind of how I got to to the stage I'm at now, basically. Because you have estrogen receptors everywhere, you can have literally any symptom, which is what also makes it so confusing. The, the um, hot, So hot flushes and night sweats and periods changing are the typical symptoms, but... Yeah. 
they are by no means the only symptoms. And those tend to, if you have those symptoms, at least that kind of indicates what's going on for you. Mm. Whereas the other symptoms that you see often in women in their early 40s is just things like anxiety creeping in where you've never really been an anxious person before, not coping, your brain changing so that you might forget things. Um, or feel more angry than usual, or or feel low, um, difficulty in sleeping. So those can all be very distressing and also very much harder to um, pinpoint as being the perimenopause. PMS can worsen. That's another, that can be another really troublesome symptom. Um, And then there's the more physical symptoms. So um, hair loss, skin changing, dry eyes, uh, tinnitus, palpitations, bowel habit change, vaginal symptoms, urinary symptoms, muscle pains, joint pains, um, body shape changing. I mean, it's there's so many. There's about 30, isn't there? About 30 different Well, I think they've got up to about 60 now. Is there about 60 now? About 60. Oh my gosh. And and like you said it's so different for every woman like this journey, this kind of these changes they don't you don't get everything either like you don't you don't and I think it's so hard because it's something that for me I didn't want to admit was happening I think um but also I didn't recognize was happening so early 40s for me I was diagnosed with depression and that was due to being in the doctor's surgery and being so overly emotional Um, And I went a few times and he was like, you know, literally you just scratch beneath the surface and you burst into tears. There's something going on here. You're just very over emotional. I think we need to stabilize this with some antidepressants and they were the serotonin uptake thingies. So that's what I ended up taking. But looking back now, I think that and I was 42 then. And I look back and I think, you know, I hadn't really ever had depression. I mean, you know, and, and, I, and I think that that definitely was the start of my perimenopause journey. Without um, a shadow and I, of a doubt. And I think that happens to a lot of ladies, doesn't it? It's like a lot of them go in, a lot of us girls go in completely at our wit's end, really over-emotional, really just, well, depressed, anxious, all of those things, thinking that there's something wrong with you. The last thing you ever think of, it's my hormones you know my I was still having my periods the cycle my cycles were really all over the place I mean I'd get them sort of like every 23 days every 18 days and I'd have like a very short cycle but I didn't mind that because it was like really light periods really short cycle um it wasn't too bad the pain I almost kind of like skipped through my periods and I was just like okay they're just getting lighter and, and less frequent or sometimes more frequent um but it was the it was the emotions and it, it was the emotional impact on my kind of mental health and my dealing day to day that was horrible. Anyway, I took the um, antidepressants for about six months. Wow. Okay. And I and I know because I just didn't want to really be on them, and I had a feeling that it wasn't the right diagnosis for me. I just had a feeling. Um, George and I ended up meeting and getting back together. We'd already been together, but, um, we ended up kind of rekindling our relationship (laughs) and our love. And, um, and I remember saying to him when when we first got together, I was like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 43. And if you want to have a baby, we need to start thinking about it because, you know, it's something that I'd always wanted to do, but I just never had been in the right situation. Um, and so 
in my mind the depression was not linked to perimenopause and when I was 43 and back with George who is the love of my life I was thinking like we could potentially look at um IVF you know um or, or just some other avenues that you know fertility options um and then literally a year later I was sitting in you know a, a private doctor's office you know, somewhere really expensive uh, in Harley Street. <laughs> and he was telling me after taking the bloods that I was perimenopause and that I am getting old. And how do I feel about that? And I probably wouldn't be able to have a baby. And all of this stuff just came tumbling down on my shoulders. And I just felt like I couldn't breathe. Like I literally was like, like I'd been punched in the stomach. And it was just all these words that he was just sort of spilling out at me, like, you know, getting old, you know, and I just suddenly thought, oh my God, my body's almost failed me. Um, and it was, it was really hard because he was like, how do you feel? And of course I didn't want to cry in front of him because I was like, I'm just going to, so I was like, you know, when you like dig your nails into your hands and you're like, be strong, be strong. But it was really hard. So being told in that moment that I was perimenopause um, and that I probably wouldn't be able to have a baby and that I was getting old and basically I'm going to be knackered and old and you're basically, you know, just your life's over. I just felt unbelievably numb when I left his office. So I think a lot of us are scared because it almost signifies everything's over. Like you're not fertile anymore. Um, You're going to just start looking really old, feeling really old. Um, And and it's a really horrific time. And I think that's why a lot of us just sort of goes, well, I haven't got hot flushes. And actually, I don't feel that fine. And actually, my periods are still okay. And you sort of like justify it by saying, I don't, you know, all these things aren't happening to me. So can you explain the um, the fertility aspect and the sort of early perimenopause symptoms and sort of needing to take HRT to stabilize or, you know, trying to boost the imbalance of the hormones, um, but at the same time, potentially wanting to get pregnant or to try for a baby or to try fertility options? Fertility is is so tricky because of, you know, how we live our lives now. And women, you know, de- generations ago would have their first baby when they were 20. And that's got older as, um, as society has changed. But really, fertility declines significantly over the age of 35, which when you think about it, it's just so young, isn't it? Yeah. And then by the time you're 40, there is again, a, you know, a, even more of a decline. And by the, by the age of 45, um, it is, you know, you're, you're, it would, you'd be considered lucky to um, get pregnant and have an uneventful pregnancy um, mm. and, and good outcome. And it's just because egg quality declines with age and it's just you know one of those one of those biological facts which is just feels very unfair I already knew my egg quality was because I'd had tests you know I'd had tests so I already knew that I was challenged there I mean it's a no-brainer you know when you, as soon as you like you said 35 37 that starts to decline doesn't it so that wasn't a shock to me but then it was like that double whammy of like your egg quality is already you know pretty poor and now your perimenopause all perimenopausal and you you know and so I, I was just I was just devastated so it's the middle of the night and I'm awake and I'm hot I'm having one of my hot flushes so it's not too bad like the bed's not soaking wet which is amazing but my pajamas are pretty soaking so I've whipped off my pajamas and I've turned all my pillows over and I'm trying not to wake George up sometimes when he comes in for cuddles and we end up spooning I literally am like a 
furnace so yeah I need to have a bit of distance sometimes while I'm having one of my hot flushes but um I'm probably gonna put on I've got a Deepak Chopra app that is gorgeous and it's beautiful music and I love just hearing Deepak's voice and so I'm gonna put that on and try and go back to sleep if there's anybody listening that is in a similar situation to me that doesn't mean necessarily that it's the end of the road you know for you to try for a baby or you know there's 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 other options and, and you know once you do get your hormones back on track if you do decide to go down the HRT route there there is hope right it's not it doesn't have to be just a sort of like definite no nothing is um, no it's it's not a it is not a definite no I mean I think it would be giving women false false hope to say that HRT will bring your fertility back because to you know to pre to to levels when you are much younger because it won't do that but you are definitely um it's definitely thought to be better to take HRT if you're perimenopausal if you are looking for a pregnancy than not taking HRT so a lot of women are scared about taking hormones if they're trying for a baby but actually it's the op- it's the opposite it can help with that um with the chances of getting pregnant so my so when he looked at my bloods he also said that i um he showed me the little the little the scales of the different percentages of what's going on um i had zero progesterone and be because you weren't ovulating so when i got went to see him before that i was in crippling pain so my period since i spoke you know since like 42 in that year they became so painful so heavy like almost hemorrhaging every time i had a bleed couldn't leave the house awful you go out for dinner and then all of a sudden you'd get your period and then you just would have bled everywhere and it was just awful so it was like you don't want to leave the house plus you're like excruciating pain and then they sort of just stopped it was really strange so then he did the tests and he said no progesterone and I've got so much estrogen and I'd also at that point put on a lot of weight so I was very puffy everywhere um and he looked and did an internal and he said I still had follicle so I should still be having a period or a bleed but the progesterone that he prescribed me was going to kickstart everything and everything was going to be okay again so since then I've kind of read a little bit more and I know that that's not actually how everybody does that or or how everybody reads those results so it, it it's kind of confusing to me so so it from what I've just told you is it, it confusing is for you is, I was like is, okay so I, I have no progesterone confusing. that's why I'm not having a period and that's why I've got put on weight and then I'm really puffy and grumpy and emotional and anxious and sweaty and all of these symptoms have started to come on um and he was like here have this progesterone cream rub it on twice a day um and you'll everything's gonna be magically back to normal again um what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you measure progesterone at day 21 of an average cycle to look to see whether ovulation has taken place because the so the follicle, you have an egg growing within a follicle within an ovary and yeah. then you um, release the egg at about day 14 and then what is left in the ovary becomes something called the corpus luteum. And that secretes progesterone in order to make the womb an amazing environment for a grown baby. That's why it's called progesterone, progestation. It's a hormone that encourages pregnancy. If you don't ovulate, then you don't make progesterone. 
And so that's why progesterone levels can be low in the perimenopause um, because, you're, because your ovaries aren't working properly and you aren't ovulating. We don't tend to measure progesterone levels in perimenopause or menopause because it doesn't impact on what treatment we use. Um, we rarely, we, we wouldn't necessarily do estrogen levels in women over the age of 45 because if they're symptomatic, then we know pretty much what's going on. They need more estrogen. <laughs> Giving progesterone to women um, through a cream through the skin, there isn't a huge degree of logic to it because, well, firstly, progesterone um, isn't really absorbed through the skin. So it doesn't really make sense as to how it's going to how it's going to work giving it to make you feel better well some women like progesterone so if you would just just give oral progesterone in the perimenopause in some women it does make you feel better because it's because it can have a calming kind of sedative effect but yeah. it's not going to replace your estrogen no see this is the thing so just going back to it another thing he said to me because I was I guess quite anxious and quite like jumpy he said I'm going to give you this progesterone because you're really jumpy and this is going to calm you down right yeah so I feel like it obviously the 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 bloods have come back and it said that I had zero progesterone and also he said that you know it has a calming effect similar exactly what you said Uh, but it was it it so and this is another thing that needs to be cleared up these are two camps so this doctor I went to see was the bioidentical creams which is the progesterone administered through a cream being absorbed through my skin um and then the body identical is the registered licensed and the progesterone pill so it's an oral or vaginally taken pill rather than a cream so this is another thing that's massively confusing for us women is like where do we go what do we take the kind of british menopause society registered doctors you know so that the kind of um accredited camp um, the guidelines with progesterone is we give progest we do give progesterone, but we give it for the purpose of protecting the endometrium from additional estrogen. So when you yeah. give somebody who has a uterus additional estrogen, of the lining of the uterus called the endometrium thickens. Yeah. And if you have estrogen on its own for years and years and years, it can eventually cause something called endometrial hyperplasia, which is where the cells start changing, and eventually that can lead to endometrial cancer. In order to prevent that, we give progesterone. So that's normally the only reason we would give progesterone is if you've got a uterus and you're being given additional estrogen. Very occasionally you might give it, you know, for, uh, for in, other, in other scenarios. And the British Menopause Society guidelines are not, in a perimenopausal woman, give them progesterone without estrogen because it doesn't really make sense. Even though my bloods came back and said that I already had so much estrogen, I didn't need any extra. And sometimes you do see that. You do sometimes see bloods coming back with high levels of estrogen, surprisingly high levels of estrogen. Yep. There's a lot of selling that comes on the back of estrogen dominance so things like expensive um, investigations expensive supplements expensive diets um, to clear out this kind of excessive toxic estrogen but that just it just doesn't make it does that doesn't make sense Um, because so firstly estrogen levels very secondly we have a liver that if there is an excess of anything very very effectively detoxifies and purifies and eliminates waste um and it's just it's it's very very confusing for for vulnerable women who see kind of claims about you know you must detoxify this that and the other and 
um, take this to help you to help you do this when it's just not substantiated by by any evidence. I mean, this is the thing. It's it, you, you, we are vulnerable, and 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 we we are at our wits' end, so we want help. And it is so so hard to know where to turn, where to go, where to who to trust. Um, and certainly, that doctor's appointment was word of mouth through a friend who had had amazing results. Go and see my doctor, and then I did another one. Was like, oh no, he's not good. Go and see this doctor, and it's like. People are passing around numbers here and there. And, you know, we want the help. We were like, okay, how much money? I'm just going to throw some money at it because I want to feel like myself again. I don't want to feel like I, I can't go to work. I don't want to feel like I want to break up with my partner. I want to have my libido back, my life back, my body back. I want to stop. I want to sleep. You know, all of these horrible crippling symptoms that come and just take over your life and just change everything. It, it is literally miserable and so and so frightening somebody... as well it's so frightening uh, it's because nothing feels like nothing in your entire life feels normal does it nothing feels right no you just feel so lost you feel unattractive nothing fits you in your wardrobe you know that's all the sort of well it's just everything you know you just feel hideous and you don't want to see your friends and you don't want anybody to, you don't want your partner to see you naked and you don't want to see yourself naked and all these silly little things that well they're not silly because at the time they, they're horrible but you know then your sleep's impacted and then you just feel wretched throughout the day and going to work is really quite a daunting experience getting on the train on the tube on the bus it's like you having these hot flushes out of nowhere and you're so conscious of the fact that all the back of your hair is soaking wet and you're you look like you're just losing your mind and you feel like you're losing your mind so when somebody offers you a lifeline and says there's this doctor you know it's 450 pounds to go and see him and then you see him and then you do the bloods it's a hundred another hundred quid and then you've got to do some scans and then that's another like and it before you know it you spent a thousand pounds and you think you're getting the right help but actually you're not it is it is so hard it is so hard i mean i think one of the things that is a quite a useful way of thinking about about medical help is that you can't you can't get object an objective opinion from a healthcare professional if their aim is to sell you something so because they will always be biased and you can't you know that's just it's just psychology so if somebody is trying to sell you lots of supplements or lots of you know um programs or whatever then um, I would ha- definitely have second thoughts about seeing them because they ca- their their livelihood is dependent on making a diagnosis that encourages people to spend a lot of money on what yeah. they on what their suggestions are, um, and it's why med it's why doctors we don't sell HRT it's why we don't sell supplements because we then can't be objective about it. Another thing that doesn't help, and the one thing that George and I argue about, one of the only things we argue about, is when the heating's on and I'm having enough hot flush and I'm just like stressing out and then the heating is pumping out of every radiator and it's just overwhelmingly hot. Okay, rent over. Basically, what I'm on now is um, body identical hormones, which is, I, I buy it from... I get it from the pharmacy um, and you can get a prescription from your GP. So this is what I'm on now and it has saved me a lot of money. Now getting, and it, you know what, I speak to so many women and I know that they are finally getting through to their GPs and the GPs are 
finally prescribing them what they want and um but it's it's taking a long time because doctors don't know enough about the menopause unfortunately um they do a lot i don't want to like badmouth gps or bash them or anything because they work so hard and they they do so much and on so many different areas of health but when it comes to kind of like female health specialists and sort of getting locking down you know locking down your gp trying to have a bit more time with him or her and trying to get some kind of resolution as far as like dealing with your hormones it is quite tricky but you know i've always said that you know you've got to you've, you've got to push you've got to be tenacious you've got to be relentless you've got to write down your symptoms you've got to write down your cycle you've got to write down what's going on in your life and you've got to take it with you with so some, they, with, and take someone with you because then somebody else can do the talking for you because usually you're just totally like you've lost your mind and you're just so grateful you just probably just burst into tears as soon as you're in there and they're like right you've got 10 minutes make this snappy and so you've got so much to get across and I know I'm laughing but it's just that sheer panic of like okay so da, da, da. and then they're like okay you're clearly emotionally distressed you clearly have anxiety and depression um some mental health issues I'm going to diagnose you with x y and z and it's not the goddamn hormones that you need you know, that is so far down on the list. Um, and then if you do get a good doctor or not a good doctor, but a doctor who's a little bit more, you know, have a, has a bit more empathy and wants to kind of spend a bit more time with you and get to the bottom of it, you might get some blood tests. Which, which you may not even need. <laughs> well, yeah, you mentioned that if you're 45 and over, then these symptoms that you go in with, either anxiety, depression, your periods being all over the place, tinnitus sweats night sweats pelvic floor needing to pee vaginal atrophy which is dry vagina painful sex all of these lovely things you know he or she should be able to say yes you are definitely perimenopausal and you need some help bloods were totally appropriate for you because you were so young you know you're only 42 so that was that, yeah. that's totally appropriate but for a woman over the age of 45 you know it's, yeah it's menopause till proven otherwise really but then if you've done the bloods and they don't read them right so they say oh no you're you're totally normal you're within range so what does that actually mean and and how do you change uh, how what do you do if some if if that's almost like that's the conclusion okay finished goodbye <laughs> <laughs> you're like no 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 wait 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 wait, wait. <laughs> i mean sometimes so sometimes they are they would be considered even by us um you know kind of menopause doctors they would be considered normal and within range um but the problem with normal and in range is that the normal and in range is for the entire adult female population which includes 80 year olds and 18 year olds so it is entirely appropriate for an eight-year-old woman to have zero estrogen and it would be reported as normal. But it's not. Right. But it doesn't mean that that zero estrogen isn't causing you your symptoms at 42. So, so the bloods are a waste of time pretty much then if you're over 45 because, and that's... They are, well, they, if you suspect, so if you suspect um, there may be something else going on, so another pathology, so think of something like um, a thyroid issue or, you know, there are other causes of night sweats. There are, I mean, there is definitely a place for blood tests if there is a question about the diagnosis. So say, you know, women who have um, joints, joint pains, joint swellings, those kind of things, you, you, you have to think is something else going on. I'm saying with palpitations, you know, there are, there are, there are scenarios where blood tests are appropriate, 
But if everything comes back normal, it, it, then it doesn't mean that it's not menopause. Um, and the same with the, with the under 45s, like you, it's because the diagnosis of menopause is less likely, it is important to exclude other causes because the last thing you want to do is miss a, you know, a hypothyroid diagnosis or, or something like that. But no, you're right. A um, heart condition or something yeah. that could be looming. Okay. Yeah. So you do, you look for other causes, but the majority of the time they come back um, normal and then that's the point that a lot of women come unstuck because so say you have got a normal FSH and say your estradiol is you know in the normal range and every other blood test is normal then at that point you you know a doctor might be tempted to try antidepressants when actually if a woman's not ever had a mental health issue in her entire life to suddenly develop it at 42 would be very unusual really unusual it normally is something that you that starts in you know your late teens and then your it keeps kind of reappearing and disappearing throughout your um throughout life unless there's a trigger you know if if they have a if you have a very traumatic life event then absolutely you ha- you can have um is is you know it's more likely but um from out of nowhere um especially with the symptoms that you had i mean that would be menopause 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 Let's talk about HRT then, because um, it has got such a scary reputation. And, you know, the science and, and all the reports from back in the early 2000s, where, which was all incorrect and, you know, basically demonized HRT and all of the doctors panicked and took everybody off of it. And now there's still this kind of stigma around it. Um, being something that is isn't good for you and that is dangerous it is and it's just so it's so frightening so there was a couple of big studies that came out in the early 2000s so before before the 2000s quite a lot of women were on hrt really quite happy on it um it's you know had a big impact on their life and their symptoms and then those two big studies came out and it frightened the life out of everybody 
because they suggested that HRT massively increased the risk of breast cancer, but also heart disease and strokes, where previously it was thought that they were protective. And so a whole cohort of doctors took a whole cohort of women off of HRT and didn't start HRT in another cohort of women. So there, it's just, it was a massive, massive setback for women's health. And of course, all of those studies, um, because of the scariness of them, in that, you know, we're giving women in their 40s and 50s this, you know, this awful medication that's going to kill them. Um, the the headlines that go with that are, you know, a widespread and it filters through kind of culturally and from, you know, medically. Um, and and then, of course, when the newer data comes out, that's much that's much more reliable, that suggests that actually it doesn't cause heart disease and strokes. And it is it's likely to be protective against heart disease and strokes. It's much less of a headline. It doesn't grab people's attention. It's much less of a pulling power to go and buy that newspaper. That's, um, it, you know, it's not on the front paper, not on the front pages of the newspapers. Um, and so it doesn't filter through and it doesn't filter through in the medical press. and It doesn't filter through into the into the into the national press. And so those um myths are perpetuated and so you know the doctors practicing today would have been junior doctors when those studies came out and they'll still be practicing according to what they understand to be true um and same with same with women I mean women in their 40s and 50s today will remember those Mm. studies coming out and it's you know once that once there is that fear and that connection in your in you it's very hard to break that fear and that's what we're fighting about at the moment. And of course, HRT is not going to, not every woman wants HRT, not every woman can have HRT, but it's just empowering women to be to know what the facts are as we understand them at the moment and to make that decision for them without something that's not true um, preventing them from, from, um, from seeking it. Has the actual HRT in itself changed at all since, you know, in the last 20, 30, 40 years? I know the way we take it. Yes, it, it has. So it has. The oestrogens the that we take, um, that we prescribe now, are through the skin. So that mm. is that is new. It used to all be oral. Um, and when you take oestrogen through the skin, it's metabolized in a different way, which makes it safer. Well, oral oestrogens put your risk of clots um, in vessels up a little bit, just like the pill does. Um, taking it through the skin doesn't do that so it's it's a less um risky way of taking estrogen it's also thought to be better for breasts um and the progesterone that we now use the body identical eutrogestan is thought to again to be better for from a breast point of view and so the the estrogens that they used in um in the studies were thought to be less breast friendly and because they were oral more clotty so that's the reason that's the reason why there is difference. So yes, there is a difference. And the HRT that we prescribe um, routinely, so we prescribe it absolutely routinely, it's not expensive, um, is thought to be the safest way of, of delivering it. So when you say clotting, you mean the deep vein thrombosis, which is, a, and so, and, but actually when you take the pill, which I took for so many years, Clotting is, is associated with taking the pill. I mean, that's the risk that you take when you take the pill and you take you literally take a pill. It's orally. So what what else is in the pill? I mean, it, it that I mean, that's so the, the pill, the combined pill contains yeah. um, a synthetic progesterone and synthetic estrogen. Um, and you know in in quite high doses. And that's why you are more likely to get a clot with the with the combined pill It's why they like, you know, the, 
try and take women who are um, overweight or who are smokers. So those are two more risk factors for clots off the combined pill younger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to take the pill for ages and it was a horrible. And I remember it aggravated me. I got puffy. I got swollen. I got moody. I got emotional. I mean, my hormones have just been yo-yoing my whole life, I think, because you're you're managing them. You know, you're trying to, you know, it goes back to like, just, you know, like I'm talking about when we learn about periods and we know that we need to use contraception and then you do, you either want to get pregnant or you don't want to get pregnant. And then all of a sudden you can't get pregnant and you have to take something else. It's just all this juggling act with our hormones that has such a big impact on our life. Yeah. I mean, the pill, the pill can be really good. I mean, it's, it's very, very safe. I mean, goodness, we've got so much data on, on pill use. It is, mm. it is really safe and it ha- definitely has its place. But some women just can't tolerate it. Um, and it, they tend to be the hormone sensitive women, um, which you probably are. So you mentioned the Easter gel. I take Linzetto, which is this great little spray. Um, I'm always banging on about my Linzetto. <laughs> you, I do you love it. You looked for it then, didn't you? Is I've always got it. I'm like, it? where is it? I use. I where is it? I have it close by at all times. My patients are like, I want the one Lisa has. I want the one Lisa has. <laughs> that little Linzetto is a lifesaver. But I have to say, I kind of messed up a few times with it because when it starts running out and I start and I use it, I'm not getting my full quota. And then if I don't use it as often as I should, then like the other day, like my night sweats kind of came back a little bit and my anxiety came back a little bit. So it's definitely something that needs, you need to keep up with it. You know, it's like your nighttime regime, your morning regime. It's like brushing your teeth. You have to do it every day. And you you, have can to you do feel it. it if you miss it for one day? Yeah, it's not good. It's, I mean, I just need to be on it regularly. And it's not just one day, actually. But what it is, is that I don't mark the side of the box, which is what you're supposed to do. It's got like 56 spritzes in it. And if you don't mark them down and you kind of know when you're getting to your 50th and your 54th, um, I don't feel like you're getting your full quota from about 50 onwards. But I don't know because I don't mark it down. I'm just guessing. All I know is it's just a little bit left. So I might just like do a little double spritz, but I'm not getting the same amount. Um, and, you know, I just said to George, you got to make sure I'm taking my hormones and he's like okay um he was like just calm down just calm down and I you can work like- out you can work out when it finishes though by however many sprays you take per day just work and then put a note in your calendar just saying right ditch it now but that's just too like much complication isn't it i don't know i don't know just i just had a bit of a wobbly week and you know sometimes those sort of things so you shouldn't. just oh so you took them in the morning and forgot in the evening or that that kind of thing yeah, or I always take it in the evening because in the evening I also take my eutogest, I can never say eutogestion pill, my progesterone pill, which I used to take orally. Um, but that made me puffy and I was taking two orally and I didn't, I didn't, I was taking one orally. Was I taking one orally? <laughs> I was taking one orally. Um, but I noticed that I was getting that similar to the contraceptive pill, that kind of puffy, swollen water retention. So, um, I'm not taking it vaginally, which is fine. And I take it at night and I just pop it up inside me. I've um, got to make sure I wear my underwear because otherwise it gets a little bit, it kind of melts. Yeah, kind of melts waxy, and goes a little bit, it? you get a bit, get a bit damp down there. <laughs> 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 not very good in a good way. <laughs> okay, perfect example of when I'm not keeping up with my HRT. <sighs> so frustrating I've just been looking for my phone for about 20 minutes I've had George looking for my phone I'm like convinced it's in the office or it's in my dressing room or it's somewhere in the toilet 
hunting high and low across the house and um, sweating, sweating, panicking, stressing, just anxiety through the roof, panicking about it, which is such a stupid thing to do. We're trying to leave the house, as I said. I think I'm repeating myself. I must be having brain fog as well. And um, George found it and it was up by all my trainers. Like, what is he doing up there? I put my trainers away and packed my phone off into that area as well. I just feel like I'm losing my goddamn mind. But yeah, I, I, I really like these these hormones that I'm on and, and, and I, I wouldn't be without them. But, you know, one thing I've learned is that people go, I'm going into the, uh, no, I'm going, I'm going through the menopause and you actually don't go through the menopause. It's not like you go into a cloud and then out the other side, which is kind of how I envisage, envisage it. It's like you go into it and then you're in it, right? You're in the menopause. You're just in it. How long are you in it for? Do you have to take HRT forever? Can you just slowly wean off your, wean off of it? Do symptoms stop? Like, what is this going into this menopause cloud that we don't come out of? Well, the cloud <laughs> can dissipate, but you, but you, so you have your the first half of your adult life with your ovaries functioning, and then the second half of your adult life with them not, and that's all the menopause is. That's that's it. Um, but as you go further into it, your um, your hormone requirement often decreases. So if you start on HRT at 45, you may find that by the time that you're 55, you need less to control your symptoms. And then by the time you know, you're 60, you might need a bit less. And then what women tend to do is a, is really, it's a really personal decision. Like they way up whether they want to be on it or not depending on their perception of the risks and the benefits at the time and so that's why every year we have a conversation and just discuss you know some women like I am taking this to the grave nobody is taking this off me whatever happens and others like I want to be on the absolute lowest dose possible um, for the shortest amount of time and it's you know it's it's a personal decision um I mean, if you suddenly stop taking them, then you probably will feel it. Um, although not always. Sometimes you do see it. You do see that women sometimes just don't feel it at all. But everybody's different. Yeah, everybody is different in this journey. And this is so individual and personal. And you might just have like three symptoms or you might just be unfortunate and have so many. Um, I think I had quite a few when I look back. I feel like, you know, the, 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 I think the only one I didn't really have was tinnitus. It didn't affect my hearing. But most of the other ones I totally did. And the vaginal atrophy, not so much. I'm quite lucky at, at the moment that that didn't become too much of an issue. But then I'm not really having sex, so maybe I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> that damn libido's gone missing. <laughs> Still um, searching. <laughs> yeah, but you can get symptoms even if you, you know, you can, some women can't even, like I had a patient this week who, who just found walking the dogs, like she couldn't walk the dogs. <sighs> Um, or you can't ride a bike or... Because it's not just inside, it's not just your vagina, it's your vulva as well that becomes so red and irritated. And, and just even probably wearing jeans and yeah, knickers yeah. must... Yeah, um, and a <sighs> discharge that... So, you, the you know, you think with dryness that you wouldn't have a discharge, but sometimes because you get inflammation in the area, then you can get <sighs> this exudate that, um, that can be very unpleasant. Oh my um, gosh. So, yeah... <laughs> all sorts of things can happen oh my gosh um, I just can't believe that so many women just 
you know, there's the 50% of the women, 50% of population are women. And like, we just are not educated enough on this. Thank God that this menopause awareness month is happening and that this conversation is just being had and that the word is being spread and women are not so scared to talk about it and I've never been afraid or ashamed of talking about things that are happening I think all my life I've been like oh my god I've got my period oh my god it's so heavy oh my god this is going on oh my god I've got my boobs are so swollen amazing though you're amazingly open it's it's just incredible it is incredible I can't you know it's it is so refreshing because we're so used to seeing you know, glamorous women who um, are presented as, you know, perfection and you don't ever, you know, they they don't even have periods, let alone, let alone have problems with them. Um, And so I think it just, it's just normalized it for everybody. And, you know, the more that women like you talk about this kind of thing, I think the more heard and seen everybody else will feel. It's great. That's what's important to me. I just want us all to because because there because this can be such an amazing time of, in our lives. You know, it, it doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to signify that we just need to like dress in like really boring clothes and not want to be seen. You know, once once I started taking the HRT, I had more energy to go and work out. I had more I had more incentive to start you know cooking better and eating better and like you know. I noticed that my skin looked better, like on my face, like the the actual texture of my skin, the muscle tone in my face, you know, this heaviness that I had around my jaw, that started to lift. Like it it almost reshapes and remolds your face when you get the HRT. You know, the pelvic floor issues, all of these things that you just think of there because you're older. You know, you look in the mirror or you need to pee when you're like trying to get the dick key in the door and all those sort of things once you sort of re-estrogenize your body and all the areas of your of your face and your I mean because it's everywhere like you said it, it, the, the estrogen receptors are literally what in the follicles of our hair down to the tips of our toes yeah and they're, they're denser in some areas than in other than in others but yes I mean it's uh it's like WD-40 really for for female bodies it's you know it helps with muscle tone so not just pelvic floor muscle tone but face you know facial muscle arms yeah. arm muscles leg muscles um skin texture and quality and collagen and structure and um skin thickness i mean it's just it is it's it is the most incredible hormone um and of course, some women you can you can be without it, you know. And some women choose not to take HRT, and they can be without their estrogen, um, yeah. but not always. Not every not everybody. No, and actually, when you know when 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 the reports came back all those years ago, twenty odd years ago, that um, it 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 would cause you know all these horrible things, heart disease, breast cancer. But actually, taking the the right hormones the right hormone replacement therapy taking estrogen protects your bones protects your heart protects your your brain from alzheimer's all these really positive things so even if you have no symptoms there are lots of protective um, features from hrt if you start it in the perimenopause so estrogen keeps blood vessels um th- uh, squeaky clean and um stretchy and soft and supple Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you take estrogen at that point, then it can keep them that way, which then lowers your risk of heart disease, lowers your risk of strokes, lowers your risk of vascular dementia. The, okay. the, um, the Alzheimer's link is the data is emerging. Um, okay. we don't know, we, we don't know absolutely for sure, but it's possible that it's also protective against some forms of Alzheimer's, but we're kind of waiting, waiting for that. Um, 
Bone protection, my goodness, absolutely. I mean, women's women's bone density drops off a cliff after the menopause, and taking estrogen therapy can can not only prevent worsening of um, osteoporosis, but it can reverse it. It can help with bone with bone buildup. So there are, you know, and also metabolism. You know, it keeps yep. it can keep you in a kind of premenopausal metabolic state so that's sugar control lipid lipid control so cholesterol um, yeah. muscle mass it is there's there is there's it is it is not it is not the devil and estrogen does not cause cancer can you explain that to me a little bit just so that anybody because i know that i mean i've got breast cancer in my family um i know it depends on the link and who in your family has had it but um, on both sides of my family, like my grandma passed away from breast cancer. My auntie had um, a lumpectomy. My cousins had it on the other side. My grandma's sister, had, you know, so it's sort of filtered through throughout the family. Um, and so that was something that I was slightly concerned about because, it, you know, the demonized reports back in the day of it saying it will give you breast cancer. So can you explain that to me, how it, it, it doesn't increase the risk of breast cancer? So we, estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer. So taking estrogen doesn't make um, breast cells convert into cancer cells. And, you know, if you kind of think about it logically, if estrogen caused cancer, then we'd all get cancer in our 20s and 30s having had estrogen from puberty. And it doesn't, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what it's thought is that um, some breast tumours have receptors on them um, for estrogen and some for progesterone. Um, but if you are postmenopausal and so would therefore not have any estrogen floating around and you have a small breast tumor sitting there with estrogen receptors on, if you're not, if you're not exposing it to estrogen and you're therefore stimulate that you're not stimulating its growth. Whereas if you are postmenopausal and you have, um, an a tumor with estrogen receptors on and you take extra estrogen in the form of HRT you may therefore stimulate that breast tumor to grow and reveal itself that's so that the, could trigger it basically it can, it can cause it to it can basically just kind of shorten the um the time taken for that tumor to present so that's, what do you do just you have we have to keep an eye on we have to be going doing our mammograms our ultrasounds our breast checks our cervical smears we have to take some responsibility of that as well and just to weigh up the pros and cons of whether your symptoms are so bad that you want to take the hrt but the risk increase is small that's the thing the risk increase is small and breast cancer is very common so it's about putting it into perspective. And if you drink a couple of glasses of wine a night, you put your risk of breast cancer up by the same amount as if you um, use HRT. If you exercise for two and a half hours a week, you reduce your risk of breast cancer by, the, by an equivalent degree to how, um, HRT, to how much HRT increases it. So it's, but nobody says, oh, you must do your two and a half hours of exercise or you're going to get breast cancer. And nobody says, don't drink that wine, it's going to give you breast cancer and being uh, obesity is a massive um risk factor for breast cancer it's the it's the biggest risk factor so i just got a chill you just got a chill just seeing like the real the reality of it all you know it's like we have to look after ourselves we have to look after ourselves it's like the hrt isn't a silver bullet it has to be a whole lifestyle awareness um 
lifestyle change as it's, we get older it's just one it's just one part of it and screening is really important yes i mean cervical screening is important breast screening is important um exercise is important diet uh, diet um re- re- trying to alleviate stress yeah yeah you know trying to coffee coffees like coffee can you know God, caffeine coffee. can <laughs> i love it this time of the year i need it but i, I know can't, i can't i don't it. need it i can't even i can't drink one cup of coffee it sends me bananas i haven't had one for a couple of days so in my mind i've stopped but i know that at the weekend i'll be like oh i'll treat myself but it's um do you know what? i'm gonna throw this out there i honestly think it makes me put on weight I honestly think by having a couple of cup, cups of coffee a day, I think it put, makes me put on weight. And I think it's the it stress. With, do you have it with lots of milky? What coffee do you have? I, I, I sometimes have a black and then I have a plant-based milk. But yeah, I think the extra milk is extra calories. But I also think more so it triggers my cortisol levels, my anxiety, which then makes me you get hold more water. And I don't know. Is, am I mad? I don't think you're mad. I don't think you're mad. If you've observed it in you, um, then it's a, you know it's certainly a, it's certainly a possibility. So I like to have a little bit of a ritual when I go to bed. So I've got my um, my little sprays. So I've got a pillow spray, and let me just get that for you. So there's there's so many companies do some great sprays. Um, Bamford have got a nighttime pillow mist called Silent Night. So I spray that. I use Wren as well, Wren and Now to Sleep. I don't use them both at the same time. These are just the different options you can use. And then I love, 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 love using um, this little glass bottle from Balance Me and it's called Beauty Sleep Concentrate CBD Oil. And what I do is I put a little bit on each of my temples, just roll it on, then a bit on the end of my nose and then a bit on my kind of wrists. And it's a ritual of like just the spritz, the sprays, the smells, just sort of like trigger your mind into knowing that it's time to relax and go to sleep. And I find that extremely soothing. There's another product actually from Balance Me, which is the Beauty um, Beauty Sleep Hyaluronic Mist, which you spray on your chest. And that smells amazing. So all those kind of gorgeous nighttime smells um, just really help to chill me out and wind me down. And I quite like to have a little eye mask on as well. Dr. Harris do a great one with these little like kind of pressure points around the eyes. Um, And then I've been taking something called 5-HTP, which is really good at kind of relaxing you and also boosting your mood. Um, So I've been taking that for about the last four months and I find that it really helps to chill me out. And in the morning I'm in a pretty good mood. So it helps do something to the serotonin levels and it's really safe to take as long as you're not on any kind of antidepressants or serotonin uptake pills so yeah really nice really nice little pills to take and like I said magnesium as well so they're my little sleep hacks when I'm feeling stressed or feeling like I can't switch off so is there any other things that you can think of to um you know any apps or any books or anything that's that that you kind of recommend um you know, to kind of like, I mean, because I practice mindfulness, I like a little bit of meditation. Like I said, I think this whole 360 approach to wellness, as well as obviously, if, if you if you want to take HRT, you can take HRT. It is amazing. Um, but you know, for me, there's, you know, 
a few supplements here and there and 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 also um but nice books and apps and meditation and music is there anything that that you ever recommend to any of your patients that can kind of help to minimize their stress levels or anything that you recommend so i i recommend the headspace app i definitely yeah definitely recommend that to patients um and i recommend the harley street at home group for access to so it's very affordable access to yoga classes pilates classes uh and then kind of self self care packages she said them to my self care sunday <laughs> lisa's self care sunday is the number one go to <laughs> You don't need to look anywhere else, actually, because Lisa's Self-Care Sunday is is all-encompassing. It covers every possible range. (laughs) There's beauty, there's wellness, there's, like, spirituality. Exercise, um, holistic living, um, diet, nutrition. Yep. Yep. She sounds great. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I knew you were just going to slip it in there somewhere, so I was just waiting, but you didn't, so I was like, okay. <laughs> what is the Harley Street thing? I'm just going to write it down so we can put it on the show notes. So you you pay a subscription, and you have access to a full week's timetabling of like yoga, Pilates, e- exercise classes, face yoga, mindfulness, um, medical input. Uh, and nutritional advice, too. Nutritional advice, I've got that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So you can dip in and out when you want and you can kind of, you know, try it from the from the comfort of your own home Absolutely. without anybody looking at you if you're doing yoga for the first time or doing some stretching or some face yoga, which requires some funny faces being pulled. But um, yeah, I think those sort of things are amazing. And I think going to classes with people is great too. So then you've got that camaraderie of other women or other men and you're kind of struggling along together. I mean, I went to, um, I went to class this morning and I was literally just sweating but I think that's good I like sweating I feel like it's so important to sweat a couple of times a week just to like just get those toxins out and to burn some of that fat to boost the metabolism yeah um and getting out for for long walks as well you know getting in the sunshine when you can if those bright bright brisk kind of chilly mornings um no you definitely feel like you've if you come home and you're sweaty you've done some you've done some good you've definitely done something yeah and getting out in nature yeah Doing sunshine. all that kind of thing. That sunshine is, yeah, sunshine on the back of your retina is um, really resetting. Really yeah. important. Amazing. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you, Dr. Potter. <laughs> You're welcome, Lisa. Thank you for all your invaluable advice um, on this World Menopause Day. Just doing a little roundup of everything that us ladies have been going through that are going to go through and just kind of like you know trying to educate us just just so we are powered up with with the knowledge so we can make the decision for ourselves and to kind of recognize when things are starting to go a little bit out of whack that's the thing isn't it if you if you recognize it you're halfway there Mm -hmm. you're literally halfway Mm -hmm. there it's the not recognizing that that you know and it's just, it's so, it's so different to puberty, isn't it? Puberty is so obvious. Like yeah. a blind man on a galloping horse can recognise when somebody's going into puberty. Yeah. But yet nobody recognises 
when a woman is entering the perimenopause and that's what... and, and periods too like you can kind of work out because you have your you have your you put it in your calendar you know that one week you're going to be great one week you're going to be awful the next week you're going to be in pain then you're going to bleed you'll be like ah oh. and then it goes through that sort of like cycle for four weeks doesn't it but you know so you sort of know where you're at I think you it's had a bad little periods conf- though I think you did have bad periods I had bad periods I had bad periods I had I wanted to kill everybody a lot of the time and and you know what I just I want to end on this so my periods were a struggle they really were but then when they stopped I didn't want them to stop Mm. it was something that I thought I felt quite emotional about it and I spoke to my friend about it and I said I still get my periods I'm so happy I still get my periods you know I'm definitely perimenopause but I'm I'm still and she was like why do you want to get your periods they're horrible they're painful you you know you never know when they're going to come you, you know, you're bleeding everywhere. It's just a pain and you don't, you don't want them anymore. And then when they stopped, I had this slight mourning when I was like, am I still a woman? Mm. Am I still... Do you know what I mean? It was this really strange sort of... Um, sort of just saying goodbye to that part of my life. And I don't know whether it was because it signified fertility. It probably did. I feel like that was like, you know... For me, it was like about having a baby and and, and also just... I don't know. I guess it was just saying goodbye to that phase of my life and entering this new one. And now it's been a year, literally, officially a year since I've had my last period. I am definitely menopausal. But I think now I am officially into my menopause and into this new phase of my life. Um, I feel on most days better than I felt in a very long time. So... I embrace it and I just want to tell everybody out there that um, you can feel good too. It's not it's not the end of your life and your relationships can be great again and you can feel fabulous about yourself. Um, we just need to keep the conversation going so we can spread the word and spread the love. <laughs> so on that note, mwah, I bid you farewell. I adore you. Thank you. Oh, Thank you, what Naomi. A, what a privilege, what an honour. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. As you all know, this is a topic that I am so passionate about. Let's keep this conversation going. Tell your friends, tell your loved ones that this information is out there. Get them to listen to this episode. Remember, it's on all podcast platforms. I'm going to put all information to everything that Naomi and I spoke about on the show notes, links to different websites. Um, But I just want to say a big thank you for all your support and thank you for listening. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.